Hello there, listeners. This story about September 11th. Well, some parts are true and some parts are not. Anyway, hope you enjoy. I was there number two. The attacks of September 11th. 8.22 a.m. Tuesday, September 11th, 2001. Kendall, you up? Libby yelled. She's my nine-year-old little sister. I'm 11. I am now. I shouted to her groggily from across the one-story house. I pushed up out of my bed and instantly met the eyes of my baby brother, Blaze. Ashlagooba! Blaze gurgled at me. I'm coming, I'm coming, I repeated. I slipped out of my nightgown, throwing on an alligator t-shirt and some jeans I embroidered myself. I picked Blaze up from his crib and opened our door with my foot. I dance and am therefore very flexible. Blaze and I headed to the kitchen. I popped him down in his high chair and grabbed a quick banana for myself. Hopping across the room, I threw the banana peel in the bathroom trash can and then brushed my brownish blonde waist length hair. I tied it up with a lavender scrunchie and then grabbed a jacket from my closet. Bye, Kendall! I love you! Libby hollered, followed by a shoe from Blaze. I ran to catch the school bus as it squeaked to a stop beside my house. Hello, Kendall Joy Sharp. My bus driver, Terry, greeted me. Hey, Terry, I replied politely. She nods, and I head to the only available seat, which is next to a boy in my class named Cameron Wendell. Also, don't go singing. Wendell and Kendall sitting in a tree. I do not like him, at least not in that sort of way. Yo, Kendall, Cameron greets me. Hey, I respond coolly, setting my backpack down under my seat. I look out Terry's windshield, staring at the yellow lines as they disappear beneath the bus. 8.35 a.m., Tuesday, September 11th, 2001. I hang up my jacket on the hooks beside my classroom door, just as my teacher, Mr. Sullivan, begins blabbing about our daily schedule. I've already memorized the schedule, so the teacher's speech was useless to me. It went in one ear and out the other. I put my backpack in my cubby, how babyish is that, and sit down at my desk. My most chatty table mate, again, that stuff is for Libby, not 11-year-olds, instantly leans over and whispers to me, Kendall, do you think anything exciting is going to happen today? I put my finger over my lips and face Mr. Sullivan, who is now droning about respectable behavior on our class field trip. We were heading to the World Trade Center, as Dad calls the building because he works there, or the Twin Towers, as my mom says. I looked out the window at them, dreaming about walking, up their endless flights of stairs. I had no idea what to tell my chatty classmate, Elizabeth, about her question. Do you think anything exciting will happen today? 8.44 a.m., Tuesday, September 11th, 2001. I am outside on the streets with my classmates, who are trying to explore, and Mr. Sullivan, who is trying to keep our class together. Now, these are, Mr. Sullivan starts, I look up at the towers. Suddenly, I hear an ear-splitting roar from above. My classmates murmur and look up, trying to identify the noise. All of a sudden, it hits me. A plane, guys! I try to shout. A plane! Nobody can hear me above the jet's engine. I pull Elizabeth over to tell and tell her to notify her class of the plane. Elizabeth's big mouth rings out clear over the rest of the voices. A plane! She yells. It's a plane! I hear a chorus of O's filter into my ears. Just as the engine sound feels like it's on top of me, a big white-bellied jet flies overhead. Poor Mr. Sullivan is trying to figure out what's going on. The 
plane is so close I can see what's written on the tail. AA, American Airlines Flight 11. I glanced nervously at the big tower in front of its path, the World Trade Center. Hey, I see Cameron from the bus's mouth moving at the jet. Pull up, get out of the way. His voice is being drowned out by the definite engine noise, by the deafening engine noise. Don't crash, I want to yell. There are people like my dad inside. Instead, the aircraft plunges into the side of the North Tower. Elizabeth, Cameron, and Mr. Sullivan scream. Everyone else is stunned silent, like me. A ball of fire explodes from the side of the building. Black smoke rises up, filling the baby blue sky with cruel air. I imagine how many deaths that caused, my eyes unnoticeably filling up with water. Leaning against another girl, Alyssa, as tears fall down my cheeks. It's okay, Kendall. We're okay. Alyssa says gently while rubbing my arm. She's a great friend, Alyssa Alabanned. I sniffle and try to believe her as I think of Dad inside the South Tower. A flood of people file out of the North Tower, all coughing and covered with soot and rubble. Some have wet cloths over their faces to breathe better through, though I doubt they're helping. Barefoot men missing their briefcases stumble out of the doors, followed by women without heels or purses. I realize then that they dropped everything and left shoes behind, as it would not be necessary for escape. Now, I worry about their feet as they rush over the shattered glass and destroyed rubble. One woman daintily tiptoes to Mr. Sullivan. Please, she coughs. My husband is still inside on the 93rd floor. I need your help. She breaks down into a mix of coughs and tears, melting over Mr. Sullivan. A firefighter rushes to the woman, laying her out on a stretcher as the others rush into the burning North Tower. They are so brave, running in with 50 pounds of gear and hoses, coming back out with ash on their faces and thankful people in their arms. I pull Alyssa's hand nearer to me. Her watch reads 9.03. Suddenly, the same airship engine rumble grows louder as another plane flies overhead. No, not again. My dad is inside the South Tower. I tear up again, falling against Alyssa for the second time as she strokes my hair. I look up through the through my blurry sight until I can make out the numbers on the airplanes on this airplane's tail. Except there is no numbers. The plane is completely black. It crashes into the high floors of the South Tower nonetheless, causing the same devastating pain inside of me again. I'm so glad Dad works on the seventh or eighth floor. I wish with all my might that he could make it out. More firefighters rush around my class. Mr. Sullivan gains control of his senses and leads his class out of the road. Cameron takes an iPad out of his backpack and clicks on the news channel. Mr. S.'s class huddles around the device. We all listen, full of, full of pain and sorrow, to the TV guy who is explaining what's happening. Ladies and gentlemen, we have just witnessed the horrific sight of a second plane hitting the other tower, the South Tower. There was a massive explosion. Two more girls and another boy start up some waterworks. There must be a computer problem, someone on the news said, a complete failure of the air traffic control system. That did not look like an accident. It looks like that plane flew into the tower on purpose, the original reporter reasoned. I think this is some kind of attack. Four extra kids sobbed. Cameron dropped his device. The screen shattered, causing a hole in the middle through which you could see the innards of the iPad. I think, right then and there, I had a realization that changed my being. Cameron probably used his iPad for everything. And that was broken, and you could see its guts spilling out. Presently, my nation was like that. It's a part of me, and there was a gruesome pit in the center. The foundation of this country, the inside, 
was now vulnerable and faced immense destruction. I was lost without it. Elizabeth brought out her phone and again said on, on the news. The screen cut away from the views of the destruction and towards the Pentagon, the headquarters of the USA. A side of the Capitol building was now cut away, leaving a mass of flames in its spot. Alyssa pointed out that she never saw the other plane hit the ground, and instead the explosion came upward. Cameron, still a little frazzled, agreed and said maybe a bomb was planted in the ground, and the plane was scheduled to fly above as soon as it went off. I didn't know what to think. People started running from the south tower, and without knowing why, I pushed against them. Dad! Dad! I cried out, weaving through the courageous people who have escaped and more firefighters lugging huge, heavy hoses. At last, I spotted my father, hunched over despite the many citizens running around him and wheezing into a wet cloth. Dad, are you okay? What happened? I hugged him, then inspected him and saw he had one injury, a gash on his side, maybe half a foot above his hip. Kendall? Dad chokes out. Yes, I say, and Mom, Libby, Libby, as well as Blazer at home, safe and sound. Dad nods. Libby, Blaze, Kendall. We are okay, I repeat. I led him to an available firefighter. Sir, are you okay? The man asks. He takes a rag out of his back pocket, pours water from a fireproof clean canteen on it, and then hands it to Dad. In reply to the firefighter's question, Dad takes away his dirty and dusty cloth and coughs. He is overflowing with rubble and dust. My, my friend, cough, cough, wheeze, didn't make it out, Dad explains. I rub his back and tell him his friend will be okay, while the earlier firefighter and a paramedic lift Dad onto another stretcher and heave him into the back. Another sick man and a woman that looks about 20-something are also squished into the back of the ambulance. So many people need help that they are having to push multiple people into help facilities where only one person is supposed to fit. I make my way back to Mr. Sullivan's class, which is huddled in an alley, away from all the terrible events of today. Elizabeth still has her phone out, but this time the news channel says that all United States planes are allowed um, to take off and the ones are not allowed to take off and the ones that are in the air are requested to land immediately at the closest airport. I guess that is to prevent any more attacks on the United States. I nod, understanding. That makes sense. Elizabeth phones cuts to an image of the president, George W. Bush, as a security agent, I'm guessing, tells him about the attacks. Mr. Bush's face twitches the slightest bit, and Cameron and Elisa crack up. It was nice to hear happy sounds amid all the chaos. It looked like he was talking to a school class. I wish the president was here to talk to Mr. Sullivan's class. Then maybe we could have done something about the USA destruction. All of a sudden, a deep rumbling shakes the alley concrete beneath my feet. Cameron ran out from between the, building, the crowded buildings of New York City, then gasped and ran back to our class. South Tower, Cameron stuttered, then beckoned the rest of us to look. The bottom of the One World Trade Center was a poof of dust and steel bars flying everywhere. It's collapsing, I yelled to my classmates. A firefighter rushes to us, pulling us inside a grocery store and telling us to huddle under a table and cover our necks. He courageously dashed back out to save other lives. In here, the tower is collapsing. I hear the firefighter shout to a group of men outside the grocery store. They rush in and duck beneath the frozen yogurt stand off to the side. The scared clerk, who was in here when the firefighter led us to cover our necks, slips under her desk. I hear her. I can hear her whimpering. She is probably scared out of her mind. The rumbling and shaking intensify. 
So I stay quiet and only listen out for the life-saving man's voice. Crash! The sewing store, two shops down, tumbled to the ground from the force of the South Tower's wrecking. Something black, ash maybe, bombards the glass, shattering a small window in the front. One of the men hiding under the Froyo machine shrieks. Metal support beams fly at the grocery store wall, along with cords and machine parts from inside. I know the building is an office, so I assume those are from computers and printers with possibly elevator wreckage among them too. After another maybe five minutes, the banging and cracking and demolition stop. Okay, the firefighter says calmly and evenly. I have a light. I'm going to turn it on. Follow the light and come to me. We're going to stay together. We're going to be all right. I obediently stood up, shuffled toward the flashlight, and began coughing. Elisa sneezes, and Elizabeth coughs with me, and Cameron starts wheezing. I think a shy boy named Aiden might be hyperventilating. The firefighter asks people names. Lydia, the girl behind the checkout desk, sobbed. Lydia, I want you to go get bottles of water for us, the man said quietly. Lydia nodded, hurried toward the refrigerator, and retrieved bottled waters. Get a piece of clothing and rinse it with your water. Then wash out your mouth and face. After that, hold your damp cloth to your nose and mouth. You do not want to breathe in these grains of metal and glass. The firefighter is staying strong for all of us. I rip off a piece of my t-shirt, then pause and rip off another um, chunk for Elisa. Cameron is sharing his sweatshirt with Aiden. Thank you, Kendall. We can get through this, Elisa rasps. My hand's shaking. I trickle some water into my mouth. I shake it around, then spit it onto the floor of the grocery shop. My water comes out like mud. I take a drink from the bottle Lydia passed out to us, then gladly swallow my clean liquid. It feels good in the back of my throat. The firefighter that saved our lives harshly grabs the door and pushes it open. When it does not come, he kicks the jagged glass heroically to get us out of here. We tumble out, immediately glance at the nation's prize structures. Dust covers everything. Rubble from nearby shops litters New York City streets. It almost seems like snow is falling on this once bright and blue day. Aiden takes a piece of the falling object and rubs it between his index finger and thumb. It's paper, he says softly. Cameron grabs a slip and tries to read it. Since the towers are the World Trade Center, I can't imagine how many papers are inside. They're all shredded, so no matter how hard my classmates try, they are fine-grained and nobody can understand a word they say. Once the dust settled, a blank spot of scrap steel took the place of the South Tower. I hope Dad was okay and tried not to think about all the other people trapped on the top floors when the structure collapsed. I could see people coming out of strange places to get away from the wreckage. One valiant fireman crawled out from under a crushed um, fire engine, carrying a man and a woman. So many of these people were doing the riskiest things to save the lives of others. Not one of them questioned their own lives. They were out there lion-hearted, only concerned about the well-being of others. My heart grew two sizes imagining all these engine men and their hazardous jobs. Kids, come this way, I hear a raspy Mr. Sullivan instruct. We huddle far away from the damage. Our teacher takes out his phone and shows us the news on our third screen that day. A fourth, and we hope final jet, United Airlines Flight 93, crashes into a field in Shanksville, Pennsylvania. The TV guide describes... We think that Flight 93 was intended for either the U.S. Capitol building or the White House. I shook with terror, squished between Cameron, Alyssa, and Elizabeth. Nothing would ever be the same again. 
4.28 p.m., Tuesday, November 2nd, 2001. What happened again on 9-11, Kendall? Libby asked me. She's writing an essay about it and wants to know every detail from me. She honors me for surviving, even though I tell her it really wasn't that hard. She even has my ripped, dusty, ashy alligator t-shirt from the day, framed and hung above her dresser. I've told her that's ridiculous about 500 times, yet she hasn't taken it down. 9-11! Blaze claps from the floor of Libby room. No, no, Blaze, I tell him. 9-11 is not good. Blaze complains. He waddles out of Libby's room. And it's about the firefighters, not me, I remind Libby. They're the true heroes. What you doing in here, kiddos? Dad asks playfully. He made it through the attacks with a broken foot and the gash on his side, though. He leans his crutches against the doorframe of my little sister's room and puts his elbow on me. Dad, I hate when you make me hold you up, I yell jokingly. Fine, fine, fine. Want to see my scar? Dad smiles and lifts up the side of his button-up plaid shirt. Ew, Dad, it's gross, and we've seen it so many times. Libby shrieks and cover, covers her eyes, but she peeks through the cracks in her fingers. I can tell she's interested. I yank down Dad's shirt, remembering the fateful day Dad and I survived, with the help from those amazing firemen.